Taiwan needs more of these babies. <laughs> That's because we're predicted this year to have the lowest fertility rate in the world. Today, in the run-up to Mother's Day, we ask moms in Taiwan about their joys, challenges, and sacrifices. Also, is Taiwan really the most dangerous place in the world? Well, the economists certainly think so. Have a look at this recent cover. In today's hashtag Taiwan, Leslie Liao will tell you how the internet responded. All that and more in today's show. I'm Natalie So, and I'm Andrew Ryan, and this is Taiwan Insider. A recent prediction by the CIA, yes, the American CIA, says that this year the fertility rate here in Taiwan will be the lowest in the world. Right, that's 1.07 babies per woman, the lowest in the world. Now, if Taiwan wants to raise the birth rate, I think they should get to know the kind of challenges that mothers face, right? Oh, absolutely. Now, one local job bank recently surveyed working moms here in Taiwan to find out about their challenges, and here's what they found. This mother says she's taking leave from work to take care of her three children. It'd be more expensive to send them to daycare. A recent survey shows that nearly 90% of moms in Taiwan say they're unable to balance work and family. Yes, one 23 Job Bank spokesperson Yang Zhongbing says 78% of moms have thought of staying at home. So why are moms in the workforce? The survey found that 81% want to help the household income, 77% want their own income. 59% don't want to be isolated, and 32% enjoy the sense of achievement they have in their careers. Most working moms feel a tremendous struggle between their careers and motherhood. Yang said 32% of moms in Taiwan said if they could do it all again, they probably wouldn't have children. But 68% said they would. It's not easy being a mom. As Mother's Day is coming up, make sure to let your mother know how much she means to you. Now I was really surprised to hear that nearly a third of moms would choose not to have kids if they could do it all over again. Were you surprised by that? Um, I was kind of surprised because I don't have that sentiment, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I think I can understand um, where some of them may be coming from. Imagine Andrew taking on not a full-time job but a 24-hour job. Oh! In addition to what you're doing right now. Yeah, that's a lot. Would it be overwhelming? Of course. So um, <laughs> that's how a lot of women feel. I know some women feel they're not doing a good job as mm. a mother and they can't handle everything. Mm. So um, I think that you know Taiwan should try to make um, work and life and childcare easier for moms if they want. Them to have more babies. Mm, absolutely, that's a great way to put it. Now, recently you talked about. Uh, uh, I guess you talked with some women about that's the challenges right. they face. Yeah, that's right. Some working, um, most of them working moms in Taiwan shared with me what challenges they face. The teenage years. <laughs> I think, and also worrying about you know if they are influenced badly or you know if they you know just just the worry. I guess refereeing my kids bickering. I have two daughters. Now they are teenagers. I would like to give them advice or try to correct them, but it always uh, give conflict between us. Uh, I'm still learning how to communicate with teenagers without hurting their self-esteem. The challenging part is to be a, a good example. 
being responsible for someone besides yourself and kind of feeling like you have little parts of your heart um, wandering around the world and, and they can be broken. So I am a working mother, so I have to find time for them and for myself and for my family. And when I see them cry and tell me that how come I cannot be more with them, to have dinner with them, or how come I cannot participate uh, in school activity. And when they cry about that, that's the most difficult thing. Now, balancing family and work seems extraordinarily difficult. In fact, 90% of moms here in Taiwan say that they can't find that balance. Yeah, I find it very difficult myself. Mm, absolutely. And there was another interesting statistic in the survey. Two-thirds of moms think that the workplace is not friendly to mothers. Mm. So I have another suggestion for okay. the government. I'm listening. <laughs> I mean, I think that Taiwan really wants to raise the birth rate. They're increasing subsidies for babies and you know education. They've got some workplace gender equality laws in place, but I think they need to help change the workplace culture to mm -hmm. make it more friendly for moms. So perhaps they can give incentives to businesses who have more flexible working hours or who allow remote working, that kind of a thing. That, that could good. make you know life easier for mothers. Mm, absolutely. Now you also asked moms about the sacrifices, the biggest sacrifices that they've made for their kids. Let's have a look at that. I gave up my my space, I gave up my time, my body, I gave up my freedom. So I think um, I could give up my everything to see they happy. I think the biggest sacrifice is sleep. I have lost so much sleep since having children. Because I love them, so I sacrifice lots of time and energies to accompany them or provide necessary help. I always put my family and my daughters in my first priority. Time and um, especially when they're younger, you're, I feel like um, all the energy and attention is on your child rather than on yourself. And the sacrifices. I don't think what you get in return, I don't think the sacrifices are hard at all, or they're worth it. Wow. I tell you, it's hard to fathom all the myriad ways that moms sacrifice for their kids. I mean, starting off with giving birth to them, like your body, but also <laughs> your... It's painful, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> I don't even have any idea. But uh, also sleep. Like, yeah. I can't imagine like not having months. sleep. Right. So you have yeah. to train the babies yes, to sleep. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, the thing about motherhood, Andrew, is that it's all-consuming. Mm -hmm. I mean, even when they're like teenagers, they're still on your heart. Mm -hmm. If they're upset, you're upset. If they're happy, you're happy, you know? Mm. I mean, so it just, it takes everything from you. Um, but it's wonderful being a mom. We did ask the mothers, um, what was the best part about being a mother? I think the best part about being a mom is getting to be a part of something greater than ourselves. I think that is to see them grow up and, and to see them happy every day because that makes me so proud. I think the best thing of being a mom is that uh, children are always full of surprises as they grow up and become themselves, as they develop their sense of humor. And as, a, as well, I can see that they try to be themselves, they try to be brave, and uh, they start to taking care of other people. That's the beautiful thing. 
The best part about being a mom is experiencing unconditional love you get from a child. What's the best thing about being a mom? My three kids. Wait, can we see that again? You know, those are tattoos. Oh. And each one represents the year one of her children were born. She has three children. Okay, so I guess the old form of the character for Pig is on her pinky,、mm-hmm. and then the next one over is the dragon on her ring finger, and then a bone for the year of the dog. So that's love, isn't it? I mean,、yes. they are a part of you. <laughs> Not everyone gets a tattoo, but they're in your heart. Right. Right. Absolutely. So, what about for you? What's the best part about being a mom? Well, I think it's the very special and close relationship you、mm. know, with your child, ever since they're a little baby until now, until for all of our lives. Yeah. It's very special. Absolutely. Well,、uh, we're going to continue talking about moms and Mother's Day, which is just around the corner. It's on Sunday, and in today's brain game, we're going to be、uh, focusing on the presents or the things that moms want for Mother's Day. Today's brain game is called. What Mama wants. <laughs>、uh, so, as you know, obviously this Sunday is Mother's Day in lots of places around the world, and、uh, children everywhere are stressing about about what to get their mothers. Yes.、Uh, luckily for you guys,、uh, there was a recent survey that asked respondents what the best Mother's Day gifts were. Did they ask mothers? They did. Yeah. Okay,、oh, good. I'm wait, glad、yeah. they asked mothers. Wait, then you have an unfair advantage. Of course. <laughs> I have no idea. What do you expect? <laughs> so there's a top ten, obviously. One from、uh, their children. Yes, and what they、general. want. Yeah, <laughs> well, well you can answer both, and we'll see what, what comes up.、Uh, so on buzzer buzzer one, we have Natalie, and buzzer two, we have. I have lots of ideas、Andrew. of what I want. Okay, you have lots of ideas. I think Andrew has a few ideas as well. I've got, I've got something up my sleeve. I'm not sure they'll be helpful, but there are things nonetheless.、Uh, you have 90 seconds、uh, on the clock, starting now. Money. Money is one of them. Okay, I know it's a Chinese thing. A spa day. Spa day. I'll give you that. Yeah, wellness products. Vacation. Vacation travel is one of them. A mani. A mani. It's a male mani. <laughs>、uh, no. I was going to say a maid. I,、uh, no, maid? not a maid. No. Okay, yeah, that's a little bit too much. Yeah. A hand-drawn card. Uh, uh yes, a card. Yes. <laughs> Flowers. Flowers is not on there. Okay. Oh. A meal, meal is、I'm、on there. Nice. Say that. Massage chair. Massage chair. That's going to come under wellness. I'll give Andrew okay, that for、okay. spa. Um, how about um? Oh, your turn. <laughs> no, you go ahead. Jewelry. Sorry. Jewelry. Jewelry is on there. Yes. Oh wow. <laughs> Show me the cash and the jewelry. <laughs> these, these, this is your personal list. Maid, vacation, May vacation jewelry. jewelry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A car. A car is not on there. Wow, I mean, you guys. A chauffeur. No chauffeur. I mean, if you don't have a car, then what's a good chauffeur? New clothes. New clothes.、Uh, I'm going to give that under fashion products and jewelry.、Oh, okay. A garden and a gardener. A gar- <laughs> Wow, this is very high class.、Yeah. Why not? High go big or go yeah, home. Yeah, go big. Yeah, love your mother. Any more?、Um, Any more. hints? Any hints?、Uh, a bigger house. Bigger house. Not. I don't like that. Time's nearly up. I'm telling you, that is time. Oh. oh. So the ones you missed.、Uh, let's take a look at the full list. The ones you missed were cosmetics. I don't want home appliances. So makeup and skincare products.、Like、you missed a cake. A cake.、Uh, we don't want a cake.、Like、electronics, of course. Yeah, electronics and、iPhone、home、order. appliances. So that's things like well, stuff you can use around the house.
so what do you guys get your mothers for? Mother's well, I always、day? write a very nice card,、yeah. and my kids do that too, and they're the only ones who can do that. So I、yeah. think that's really priceless. Yeah. Wait, only your kids can write cards? No, I mean that's a, like <laughs> no one could give me a card that's written by From, them. Right. Of course. Yeah. That's like, like yeah, unique hand, handwritten and heartfelt. Yeah. I think if I were to be like with my mom in person, I would give her something that I made. Like a, a meal probably would be a nice、oh, thing to do、nice. for mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think for for me, it's normally a card and food.、Mm. Uh, this year, I went for flowers, which is surprisingly not on this list. Interesting. Yeah, well, Taiwanese、yeah. moms are practical. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like flowers, but I think they probably think, but they're going to die in a week, you know. It's <laughs> pretty cold. But it's very. <laughs> I think、flowers、your mom's going to be thrilled.、Yeah. You could buy one in a pot,、sweet. like in a pot that lasts. That's true. You can water it. Make your no. I think it's、water. a great gift. I'm just explaining why it's probably not on、right. the list. Yeah. Right. Well, right. Well, that's today's brain game. I hope you enjoyed watching. I want to start off by saying that I am perfectly safe. I'm a okay. No problems, 100% fine. Now you're probably wondering why I feel the need to reassure you of my well-being. Well, that's because last week the Economist called Taiwan the most dangerous place on earth. What did Taiwan do to earn that accolade? Well, it's all stuff we've heard before. China claims Taiwan is part of its territory. Taiwan says otherwise. The U.S. kind of says otherwise. China says it will take over Taiwan by force if it has to. The U.S. says it will maybe help Taiwan if that happens. The article says that escalating tensions between Taiwan and China are like sitting on a powder keg. But for those of us who live in Taiwan, the label "the most dangerous place on earth" seems a little unfair. You're talking about a place with Hello Kitty themed trains. You're talking about a place where a man lost his heirloom watch and found it undisturbed on the side of The street. Fifteen hours later, you're talking about a place where police cars carry teddy bears to comfort children. You're talking about a place where rainbows fall on our tallest landmark. So when people in Taiwan saw this headline, a lot of us went, "Um, excuse me." First of all, I don't want to discount the potential danger in the region, but the danger itself is not coming from Taiwan. Second of all, calling Taiwan the most dangerous place on earth takes attention away from dire situations in nearby places like India and Myanmar. In response to the Economist article, Alex Tichy says, "Sure, the threat of a conflict here is very serious, but people in Taiwan are living a very peaceful existence with low crime, great healthcare." Functioning government and no COVID. It's not the most dangerous place on earth. Jenny Lee tweets. Well, they're not wrong. My friends who visit Taiwan from abroad often gain a couple of pounds before leaving. Quite dangerous, I must say, if you are on a diet. It's worth fighting over good food. The article prompted a campaign where people shared photos depicting nature, friendship, and a life in Taiwan to poke fun at the title. One of my favorites is from Gwen Wong Reeves. She tweeted this picture with the caption, "You can buy cat-shaped toast in the most dangerous place in the world, Taiwan." I need to find out where I can get that toast. Even Andrew Ryan got in on the fun by posting this dangerous move by a local toddler. I mean, I'd probably let her pinch my nose too. Just look at that face. What I'm saying is, Taiwan is not that dangerous. Come see for yourself after this whole COVID-19 thing has blown over. And if you still have your reservations, I'll come pick you up from the airport myself. Though I have to say, hanging out with me is probably more dangerous than not hanging out with me. Before we go, I look at some of the other stories on our radar. 
At least 29 people have been infected with COVID-19 in relation to an outbreak at China Airlines and a Novotel Hotel. This includes 11 China Airlines pilots, a flight attendant, six hotel staff, and 11 family members. Authorities are still working to uncover the source of the infection. Taiwan has sent medical supplies to India to help fight a surge in COVID-19 cases. Authorities are also working to charter an evacuation flight to bring Taiwanese citizens in India home. A number of Taiwanese citizens in India have already contracted COVID, and one has died. Also, a staff member at Taiwan's representative office is in serious condition and will be evacuated to a neighboring country for treatment. Taiwanese workers will now get two days leave from work if they get vaccinated for COVID-19. That's in an effort to encourage the public to get vaccinated. However, employers are allowed to decide whether to consider these days paid leave. A Chinese man claims to have crossed the Taiwan Strait in a rubber dinghy. He was discovered by the shore in Taichung on April 30th and is now detained in quarantine. The man says he was fleeing to Taiwan in search of freedom and democracy. But the Navy's chief of staff has told lawmakers he doubts the man's story because the amount of fuel he had on board shouldn't have been enough to make it all the way here from China. And our final question of the day, what is the most dangerous thing in Taiwan? Bad answers only, starting with you, Leslie. Uh, without a doubt, guys, the most dangerous thing about Taiwan is that there are dogs everywhere. <laughs> and let me tell you why. It's because anytime I'm walking on the street and I see a dog, I always have to go, oh, look at that dog. And I take my eyes off the road and oh. I almost eat concrete. Oh, oh please don't do that. I always do that. Really? Any kind of dog, even if I've seen it a hundred times, I'd be like, ooh, look at that dog. And they're usually Aww. pretty docile, yes. I have to say. Yes. Yeah. How about you, Natalie? Well, there are 7-Elevens and convenience stores on every corner. It's very tempting to go in there. But actually, they're what make me feel safe oh, when okay. I walk at night. Very nice. Very good. very good. All right, for me, cloud forests. And you guys are wondering why I chose this because, well, they will take your breath away. <laughs> oh, Andrew. So I actually want to show you a little video of clouds uh, coming up over Alishan. Oh, And just the view nice. of the, the clouds rolling down the mountains, just breathtaking. Yeah. So there you have it. Some dangerous things in Taiwan. Well, thank you so much for joining us for today's Taiwan Insider. Be sure to connect with us on social media. Yes, subscribe, like us, leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you for Taiwan Insider. I am Natalie So. I'm Leslie Leo. And I'm Andrew Ryan. See you next week. The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International. From the London Underground to the Taipei Metro, the people of our world are going places. Are you listening? Tune in to the sounds of your world 
on Radio Taiwan International. Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Mother's Day is coming this Sunday, and today I talk with an extraordinary mother in Taiwan, Karen Lee. She and her son Leland Lee have been an inspiration to people around the world, and they recently came out with a memoir called Love in the Moment. Leland is a world-renowned autistic painter. His oil paintings have been exhibited in more than a dozen countries in Asia, Europe, and North America, including Russia and the Vatican. Leland is also a competitive swimmer, having won the gold and silver medal at the Special Olympics. He is a testament to how autistic people can thrive, especially when supported by loving family and a mother like Karen Lee. She believed in him when people didn't even know much about autism in Taiwan. Join me as I talk with Karen, who now runs her father's famous Cafe Astoria in Taipei, about some of her insights into motherhood. Karen, you know, I know that you are very positive, um, hopeful, and inspiring mother. You Thank know, your you. son Leland is a fantastic artist. I know that yes. you have taught him so many good things. You know, he's not only an artist, he's a swimmer, and he speaks many languages, and, and he's also autistic. He's a great, inspiring example of, you know, what um, a young man like that can do. And, and for, for you, how do you think you were able to bring out his potential? What, what, what was it in you as a mother, do you think, that enabled you to help him to be all the things that he is today? I think, I think I really just trust in God. And I also respect my son, Leland. And I just focus on his ability and not to drill on his disability mm. all these years. So I think, I think I learned so much from him, not that I, what I've taught him, you know, like I know that I have, because I, I believe that God created every person differently, mm-hmm. uniquely. Not everyone is the same. And to me, in God's eye, Leland is perfect. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, and yes, and I don't, I don't think that his, Disability is a disability mm-hmm. because that's the way that God created him. And it, over the years, it really, I really learned how to um, not only cherish him, but also to find my inner self that I need to be more open-minded to assess all these so-called quote-unquote disability a group of people equally and give them a chance and um, give them the basic respect. Well, so did this come naturally to you or did you have to work at having such a positive view? I think I, it um, took me a long time to come to this, mm-hmm. honestly, because um, I was raised and born in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And my family, they are all very traditional Taiwanese. 
And unfortunately, some Taiwanese um, relatives, they would think that, not my parents, my parents are just super duper. They were just really, really uh, supportive about Leland when I when I first learned about him having so-called a disability, autism, and the doctor said that he will never be able to have a normal life. Um, there are two parts that really supported me. One part is my family, my parents, they just accepted Leland just the way he is and love him just the way he is, no matter what. And another part of the um, people would just give us really dirty looks, <laughs> unfortunately. And um, I've been struggled between within that line. But then when Leland was probably at um, six years old, because when Leland was younger, can you imagine 30 years ago? 32 mm-hmm. years ago, there's no internet and no Wi-Fi, no um, Facebook. Autism is a really, really new to anybody, even for the um, so-called the professional team, doctors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They will all tell me that the prognosis is really, really bad, you know. And, mm. and at that time, I was thinking that Leland is just getting a cold and he's not he will recover he will like he will recover in a few years if I try to you know all my best and with doctor's help to cure him but when he was six then I finally realized that it's not going to be possible that Leland will be ever cured this autism is a lifelong disability so, you know, Natalie, so it, it took me such a long time to uh, realize that I will never, I just have to live with it. We just have to live with this situation. And can you imagine Leland just started to learn how to speak when he was seven? Wow. So before that, it was a really, it was my down time. But as soon as I realized that this is going to be his lifelong disability to deal with. I started to, um, to, to learn and to understand that God created everyone equally and Leland is perfect in God's eyes. And as a mother, I should treat him not differently than towards, like, he, he, I had an older son. Mm-hmm. And now he's a pastor in um, in Texas. That's wonderful. So yes, so I raised them like they went to the same school. They they have the same birthday party. They have everything equally. Nothing oh. more. Nothing less. Leland, did he need to receive special education? He did, but I tried to put him into the uh, regular school. Yes, and that worked out. No. But he was still in the regular school because I believe that he should be mainstream in the society. Mm-hmm. So, so it was a struggle because um, honestly, he couldn't comprehend, you know, the geometry, the uh, all this sure. really really complicated things. 
and trigonometry or whatever, but it's important for Leland to be mainstream. So he feels very at ease, right, in, in society yes. now, with whether in yes. Taiwan or the United States. Yes, he travels around the world, yeah. He's yeah. been more places than, I think, most of the um, 32 years old. <laughs> he's, he's had a lot of exhibitions of his artwork, right, in different countries? Mm-hmm, yes. He also met the Pope, is that right? Exactly. That's that amazing. was like, <laughs> yes. It was a very great experience for um, both of us. Well, has this life turned out to be more than what you can imagine? I think so. I think he's really enjoying his life so far. And um, he's like a sponge. He's like learning a lot of things. As we speak, he's uh, doing calligraphy right now. Wow. Chinese calligraphy. (laughs) And uh, he he's been accepted. Actually, his art, his calligraphy art, is exhibiting in France right now in Paris. Wow! So he's like doing a really a lot of things that not normal, quote unquote, normal people will be doing. You know, mm-hmm. he has um, he's very enthusiastic, and what's the best part is he really enjoys every moment of it. Oh. So is that one of the things that you said you, you learned from him, right? You said you learned from him as well. Yes, I learned from him because, like, it seems like when we go to work, we have said, oh, God, it's Monday. It's not TGIF, right? But uh-huh. to him, like, every day is, thank God it's Friday. Thank God it's Monday. Thank God it's Tuesday. <laughs> you know, it's not only TGIF. So every day is, it's great. Every moment is good. And I think every second to him is with joy. That's wonderful. Yes. And what can you ask for? Like, you don't want to be grumpy. You don't want to be, you know, like always complaining about your work, your um, whatever you're doing, your endless complaining, complaints that I've heard from my friends. Um, children, they're never satisfied. There's always problems. There's always uncertainties and always complaints, complaints, complaints. So, would you have any thoughts or encouragement for mothers? You know, Mother's Day is coming up, and I know a lot of moms feel like it's very difficult to to be a mom and to work at the same time or to handle all the pressure. Sometimes they feel guilty. You know, they feel like they're not doing a great job as a mother. What kind of... I know because you, your, your son's all grown up and he's turned out wonderfully. It's a beautiful yes. inspiration to so many people, both of your sons. So do you have any words of uh, encouragement or inspiration for moms today? Of course. I think just take one day at a time. Don't <laughs> stress yourself. Just take one day at a time and not to think too far off and you know, just enjoy the moment and enjoy the, um, especially the quality time with your children because they grow up so fast and um, just try to love them just the way they are and accept them. It's so easy to say, but it's so hard to do. Mm-hmm. 
That is Karen Lee, the mother of the famous autistic painter Leland Lee. Leland has exhibited his paintings in more than a dozen countries throughout the world. He is a true inspiration to autistic people throughout the world. And Karen is a wonderful mother who helped him become what he is today. I will continue the conversation with Karen next week about motherhood. But first, let's take a moment to think about what our mothers have done for us as we listen to Mozart's song, Songs My Mother Taught Me. Remember this Mother's Day to tell your mother how much she means to you. Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. The Sound of the Puyuma Tribe on Radio Taiwan International. From a bar mitzvah at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem to a temple procession in Taipei. The people of our world are passionate about their beliefs. Are you listening? Tune in to the sounds of your world on Radio Taiwan International. For all your science and tech news, it's Stash Butler with The Download. Welcome to The Download, a brand new show from Radio Taiwan International covering all the latest developments in science and technology. I'm your host, Stash Butler, and I'll be taking you through everything you need to know. Today, I'm speaking to Chris Wang. He's the chief strategy officer of the smart agriculture startup Agrimeans. He tells me what they're doing to revolutionize so-called grow lights in vertical farms and how Taiwan is standing at the forefront of this emerging technology. All that coming up on The Download.
So what does AgriMeans do? Well, they're a spin-off from a larger vertical farming company with a bit more of a specific focus. And that focus is lights. Their main product essentially takes extremely high-tech and adjustable lighting system and combines that with an AI that can fine-tune the wave frequencies to, well, basically what the plant likes. I'll let Chris explain the rest. Basically, we do everything in terms of smart agriculture. Smart agriculture, usually for most people these days, would be IoT technology. However, we've also implemented edge AI in terms of crop prediction for yields and grow quality. And at the same time, we're also combining that with smart grow lighting as well. So smart grow lighting isn't just your traditional vertical farm kind of light. The difference is that we tune the frequencies and the spectrums. So with our lights, we tune it to the plant physiology. In terms of plant physiology, it means that the chloroplasts of the plant aren't always open all the time. And when your light is on while the chloroplasts aren't open, you actually are wasting energy. So we do try to match that as closely as possible with each particular plant. And through our AI, we're able to tell which plant the light needs to tune it to. And in terms of spectrum, and this is where costs start mounting up, is that we also include UV and near-infrared. Near-infrared and UV mimic basically what the sun gives. And that way we can grow the plant to the maximum you know, biological potential it can have. Wow. So how does this um, AI kind of monitoring the plant, how does that work? Can you talk to me about so that? the AI monitoring works in basically two facets. First of all, we do have a depth camera to actually tell um, what the growth stage of the plant is at, and it will automatically tune the lights or whatever lights you have at for that sense. And the other part is NDVI. NDVI stands for Normalized Difference Vegetation Index. And NDVI is actually used in outdoor satellite imaging for outdoor crops. Because outdoor crop grow area is rather large, you can't actually go and physically check every single one. However, we miniaturize this technology for indoor agricultural use. And that way we can tell each individual plant health. So in terms of things like uh, you were saying monitoring kind of chloroplasts and stuff, it, how how finely is this done? I mean, this is done with the kind of normal cameras or? Uh, no, actually, it can't be done with normal cameras. Actually, in terms of our cameras, we use Intel's uh, RealSense Def Camera. And because there's quite a bit of literature around what each particular plant's frequency is, we do try to tune our lights to that. And if you're talking about how you know, minute the frequency is, it's actually in the nanosecond range. So actually, if you do look at our lights with our just our eyes, you can't tell it's whether, you know, it's strobing or not in any sense. But if you do take a camera, you will be able to see that there, there's a very big difference. So where did this technology come from? Is, I mean, this is something new to your company. You're, you're doing something different from other people here. Yeah. So the plant physiology frequency concept actually comes from our CEO's PhD thesis when he was at NTU. But smart agriculture in terms of using edge AI, it would be rather, in a sense, we're a first mover in this market. Um, there are competitors out there that are trying to use edge AI, but their combination of hardware and software just isn't that as advanced as ours. So you're kind of doing it's kind of an integrated solution from you yes, guys. Yes, precisely. How much has this expanded to customers already or is it still in the kind of infancy? Um, I would say that we are market ready and we actually do have paying customers at this very moment. However, because AI, it is machine learning. Machine learning only gets better with time. So um, yeah, you could classify it as it's an infancy because we only probably have about three to four years of grow data. But as, as we scale, this product will become even more mature and probably even more accurate as it goes along. Uh, in terms of current clients, uh, Mossberger in Taiwan, they do operate vertical farms. Um, their vertical farm uses our lighting solutions um, for their leafy greens, you know, and salads and their burgers and whatnot. And actually, in our North American front, what we do have is indoor cannabis growth. Obviously, in Taiwan, that's illegal. <laughs> but in the US, we do have pilot farms there to do the kind of testing we need. Right. And so you were talking about kind of how this is kind of based on a kind of AI platform mm -hmm. and AI requires data and it kind of continually self-improve. So is this 
data from your customers also feeding back into your own kind of equations and stuff? Yes, their data is feeding back into our equations as part of our kind of working contract. However, we never will use their equations to help another person grow because they will have um, proprietary grow formulas, different soil conditions, different indoor conditions, and even just different crops altogether. So while it is helping the AI learn, we will never take their data and cross-reference it with someone else's. What's the competition like in uh, America for this thing? Is it is it quite stiff coming from those companies? Or? Uh, for smart lighting, I would say the competition is rather stiff because smart lighting, it's kind of at its physics threshold. You know, you can't get much better than that. And in fact, when we do talk about our plant physiology and how compared to others, other, you know, top of the line grow lights, we save 30% energy. A lot of our customers are like, this is too good to be true. This is pseudoscience, can't be possible. But then when they do test it, it makes a big difference. However, we do believe on that hardware front, we are at a absolute limits. Um, and actually, at the same time, I think this is an interesting kind of market information is that there was a large company in the US, I would say probably one of the premier ones that make, um, you know, vertical farm grow lights. They've completely stopped their operations on that front and shifted towards using edge AI calculation uh, modules. So they're actually still under development. You know, they've revamped their website and uh, you can't find any of that information. They're not market ready yet. So yes, the US competition for lighting is stiff, but for the AI front, I would say the the US is still kind of playing catch up. In Europe, however, uh, there's a Finnish slash Russian startup. They're called iFarm and they actually offer something similar to ours. While their software end is definitely in, you know, in, within the same parameters of competition, however, their hardware is still relatively lacking because they're using GoPros while we're using you know, really state-of-the-art agricultural-based um, cameras. Reading the news and looking at these stories, for example, uh, recently Taiwan collaborated with the, the Vatican mm-hmm. on a vertical farming project. They collaborated with Bahrain. What makes Taiwan like a good place for this and, and, and how is it pushing this technology forward? Okay, so I think that's a great question because um, Bahrain and Vatican is actually a very good example of why vertical farming works. As we know, Bahrain, um, there's not a lot of arable land and not a lot of arable land does not mean that there's not a lot of square footage. It actually means soil quality as well, right? So there's there's not a lot of space for outdoor growing. And that's exactly why we need indoor vertical farming. For the Vatican, it's actual just space overall. (laughs) So um, that comes into play. And actually, in terms of vertical farming, why? vertical farming works is that there's no climate issues. So say, for example, if we're talking about northern Europe, it's relatively cold throughout the year. You can't harvest most crops that way. And let's say from the Middle East, you don't get a lot of rain. And that's why arable land comes into a factor. So where Taiwan makes a lot of sense is that Taiwan, we're we're always a technological powerhouse, right? But the biggest problem is that Taiwan being, despite being a tropical island, what's a bigger issue is that we don't have enough land to grow all these crops. And as human population scales, there's becomes less available land to grow. So that's why Taiwan is actually facing this problem already and we're already bringing this technology to the rest of the world. So it's a kind of problem that starts at home and that we've discovered this, the, the, the solution, solution for yes. here, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's interesting. You know, you see in a lot of um, these kind of reports or, you know, press releases on vertical farming that it saves, yeah. it saves a lot of water. Mm-hmm. How does that compare with energy as well, though? I mean, you know, I, I see that a lot of what your innovation is, is reducing energy use mm-hmm. of these lights as well. So how, how, just how efficient do you think that can get? So it, kind of because indoor farming is, well, indoors, right? So you do have a kind of a sense of control on the climate. However, because of the outdoor climate, say, for example, it's really cold outside, you would need to turn up the heat 
turning up heat is also very expensive on top of lighting. Um, or conversely, if it's very hot outside, you would need a substantial amount of uh, air conditioning. So with that kind of, with that being said, vertical farms do spend typically upwards of 40 to 50% of their operational costs on energy alone. So if we're able to save them on lighting, which is usually turned on most of the time, then that's already a big substantial decrease. However, if we're talking about air conditioning, we're talking about uh, heating, that's another factor. And uh, unfortunately, at this time, we haven't gotten into that just yet. That was Chris Wong, the Chief Strategy Officer at AgriMeans, talking about his company's smart lighting system and how when it comes to vertical farming in Taiwan, necessity has been the mother of invention, so to speak. And that's all we have time for this week. Next week, I'll be speaking to Yes Health, another vertical farming company making waves across the globe. That's next week with me, Stash Butler, on The Download. Janice Yen is a singer who rose to popularity with this single called Might As Well. Her songs have millions of views on YouTube, she's released two studio albums, and she's been named one of 10 Artists of the Year by KKBox. But her breakout moment came when she won the popular singing competition Million Star. She makes it look easy, but recently I sat down with her to figure out what it was like to be a star in the age of social media. She tells us it's not as much about the music as you might think. I entered the business because I liked music, yeah. you know, and my, my sole purpose was just to sing. Yeah. But then I feel like in order to have a place to perform, you've got to be known first, right? Mm -hmm. So there's so many things you got to do in order to be a singer. So like a lot of it is, because I have a podcast, so you go like, oh, yeah. That's right. Right. So I interview a lot of uh, singers and YouTubers, influencers, whatnot. I spoke to a lot of newer singers and a lot of them off camera actually too said that they entered the business because they like to sing, mm -hmm. right? And they thought being a singer would be like, you know, 90% singing, 10, 10% interviews and publicity stuff. Not the case. It's 10% singing and 90% non-musical related work. It's literally in your, in your title, you're a musician. Like, right. How is that only 10% of your job? Yeah, you get to sing 10% of the time. 90% of the time you're on variety shows, mm -hmm. you're on talk shows, you're filming for another brand, or you're like, you're, you're just doing anything else. Okay. Everything else that's not singing. Now we're inundated with all these, like these TikTok, yeah. SoundCloud, YouTube, uh, uh, like these mu these musicians mm -hmm. um and i don't know if you have turned to any of those resources mm -hmm. or, but you still have like a traditional la record label mm -hmm. so can you just comment about how what's it what's it like to see things change right um i think it's good it's a good change mm -hmm. um back when i was doing the million star competition uh i felt like most of the taiwanese or local audience they're very used to the typical Balaga mm. ballads, yeah, right? Yeah. And that that genre of music was like the only genre of music that people wanted to listen to. So most singers, regardless of their personal preference, they were packaged to only do ballad songs, mm. unless you were like a rock band and you came out as a rock band. 
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.